The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good evening. And I'd like to continue today the series I'm doing Mondays in April, which is on the topic of metta, loving kindness. And uh, as introduction to the, today's part of this talk, uh, I want to say that um, Buddhism puts a tremendous emphasis on attitude and uh, cultivating an appropriate or helpful attitude for our lives. And um, that also relates to how we practice, practice meditation, practice the Buddhist spiritual life. But attitude is very important. And there's a, ver- a wide variety of helpful attitudes, maybe in different situations. And um, one attitude, uh, when I was thinking about metta today, is uh, kind of like an attitude, is that of the attitude of an adventure. And um, so much of my own um, involvement with Buddhist practice over these decades feels like a, a grand adventure, <laughs> um, where I could, never could have imagined uh, the discoveries, the areas I've had to face and deal with and open up to. And uh, it's just been kind of, uh, you know, a wonderful adventure. At times, uh, the attitude is one of, playful, of playfulness. I think being playful a little bit is very helpful. It can be helpful in practice. Other times, playfulness has not been the attitude, but uh, rather one of kind of very, <coughs> much more sense of, um, I don't know what to say that would convey the right idea, but this is kind of a, a seriousness or depth of meaning. That this is really important. Uh, it's important for myself. It's important for the world around us. And um, that's kind of an attitude that kind of supported me as I went in this. So in relationship to loving-kindness practice, and loving-kindness itself is an attitude. Uh, It's an attitude which is considered one of the primary Buddhist virtues. And uh, cultivating loving-kindness, expressing loving-kindness, is uh, um, and making decisions based on loving-kindness is considered to be very important in the Buddhist spiritual life. Uh, so the attitude is important, but then the other side of it is that, that that very cultivation of that attitude, the exploration of loving-kindness, is itself both an adventure and hopefully at times a playful phenomenon. It's kind of fun uh, to do it and uh, a delight to be involved in this. And hopefully in being an adventure, it's also a time, place where we get challenged. And um, I don't know if you think of love as something that challenges you, supposed to challenge you. But uh, it also challenges us in many ways. So, um, loving kindness, for those of you who haven't been here, is um, a disposition, an attitude of wishing the welfare, welfare on others, or anyone, be yourself as well. So, wishing them well. Sometimes it's translated as goodwill, basic goodwill towards people. And... Um, it's likened to uh, two kinds of goodwill. It's likened to the goodwill of a mother who wants welfare, wants the best for her children. And that could, you know. Um, and then the other, it's likened to uh, the kind of welfare or good wishes that a really good friend would have for you. So those two. So maybe one of them is more meaningful, different situations are meaningful for you, but those are the two kind of reference points for this uh, sense of goodwill. Wanting the best, in some, wanting the best for someone, um, is a, a mother, a parent, 
or a, um, a good friend. And um, the, um, so uh, one of the simplest ways of stating that is wishing for people's well-being, being concerned with people's well-being and wishing for that. Now, um, the cultivation of that wish, that attitude, that the disposition of wanting someone's welfare, uh, uh, is, um, has effect on the person who has, does the wishing. So, it is not just for the sake of the other person that we cultivate the loving kindness, but it's for our own sake as well. That as we cultivate this disposition, this attitude of loving kindness, it changes our own heart. It opens us up, it softens us, it creates a warmth, it creates um, a friendly disposition, uh, it uh, does a variety of uh, beneficial things for us as well. And when it's cultivated in meditation, it's a very uh, a, a significant place to cultivate uh, great uh, stability, uh, great concentration with the mind, the heart gets very, very stable, very open, very radiant, um, rather than having the mind um, besieged by all its thoughts, preoccupations, distractions, worries, fears, anxieties, and all these different things. Um, the mind is an interesting thing because uh, the, how we experience the mind um, is, is very much influenced by what goes on in the mind. And um, it's almost as if um, the certain activities of the mind are like the coverings of the mind and cloud over the mind, um, darken the natural luminosity of the mind. And one of the things that kind of, kind of does a darkening uh, is um, preoccupation with thinking. And even more so if the, if the thoughts we're preoccupied with are uh, egotistical thoughts, kind of cut up in their own kind of self-centered kind of way. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's darkening to many people. If you haven't meditated, perhaps, it doesn't, you don't feel the darkening or the, because you know, the mind doesn't have any color. Or, you know, just, we're just kind of... I don't know how to describe it exactly, but um, um, I, then maybe this is a terrible example, but I guess you have like a video... Uh, if you're watching a video, and before you put the video in, the screen is beautiful blue, and then you put the video in, and then you have all this drama. And uh, and uh, and so you know nothing seems wrong. Seems great. The drama seems great. We're excited. We're into it. it seems wonderful. And um, and then after you know maybe after the video's over, you you realize oh there's this beautiful blue there. So maybe that's not a good example, but it's kind of like that with the mind. <laughs> that um, if we're preoccupied with the drama, with the thoughts and all that, um, we don't realize that uh, it kind of obscures. A natural luminosity, natural radiance, clarity, openness, uh, translucent quality that the mind is. And um, so, this, so the mind and the heart are considered almost the same in Buddhism. So same thing with the heart. The heart uh, gets covered over. And as we open up, as we settle down, get concentrated, get, um, and stop being preoccupied with all things that preoccupy us, there's a natural kind of uh, warmth that exists in the heart. And that natural warmth then uh, can take various expressions. And one expression is the warmth of this goodwill, the wanting, wanting welfare for people, wanting the best for people, want, concerned with their well-being. And, um, and uh, perhaps a reference point for this is um, whatever sense of very deep well-being that you've had yourself. So perhaps there's some reference points in the course of your life where you really felt a tremendous sense of well-being. And uh, maybe that's a guide, guiding light for you in your life. Oh, that's possible to have that sense of well-being.
And so to have that as a reference point in oneself then gives you a sense of what's possible for other people as well. And, oh, that would be great if that person had it. That would be really nice. And that very wish of wanting, that, uh, wanting people to be, have this well-being is hopefully something that makes you feel good, brings well-being to you. And I've certainly been in situations where my, my care, my love, my kindness for others, my compassion for others, um, flowed purely enough, clear, cleanly enough, that, uh, 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 that there was a sense of happiness or, or joy or delight that I felt in the very presence of those feelings I had for someone else. And uh, in the beginning, I was very surprised by this when I paid attention to it. Because I remember uh, feeling this um, when I was caring for someone who was struggling a little bit in their life and, um, and um, uh, needed a lot of help, physical help, kind of getting over steps and stuff. I had to lift the person up and help the person out. And um, I was so surprised how good I started feeling. And I said, well, you know, this is not about me. <laughs> Why should I be feeling so good? And... Um, and um, I'm just helping this person. I'm just concerned about the person. But I felt very good. Much many years later, I, um, I found out one theory for why we feel good, and that is the theory of oxytocin. That there's this chemical hormone, I guess, that's released when um, when there's very clean expressions of compassion or care for other people, and that uh, that chemical that the body produces uh, produces a sense of well-being uh, in uh, people, and. Uh, Apparently, it's one of the reasons why um, mothers are happy to nurse, because nursing releases a lot of oxytocin. Isn't that nice? So that's a maybe reductionistic explanation for all this, but um, you know, it's, I, I find it kind of odd that we've had this well-being in ourselves and taking care of someone else. If if, if the caretaking is clean, if it's not clean, you won't feel it so so much. So in the classic description of uh, practicing loving kindness the meditation of loving kindness, the instruction is to start with oneself. And uh, the classic instruction to start with yourself then has a little footnote that says, you might ask, if this is okay, basically says something like this, is this really okay to do this? Because the Buddha never gave people, there's no record of the Buddha ever giving instructions that you should do loving kindness for yourself. <laughs> and um, and uh, this was written 1,500 years after the Buddha. No, no, oh, 1,000 years after the Buddha. So the, this very famous that, uh, Buddhist teacher says, you know, I'm teaching you to start with yourself, but you might wonder about this since the Buddha never said this. And um, so, you know, and some people do ask that question. Is it egotistical to start with yourself, to focus on yourself that way? I thought Buddhism was, the, was about freeing yourself from your egotism. And here I'm told to begin by offering kindness, goodwill towards myself. And um, I think it's a good question because sometimes it can be. It's a, very, it's a little bit tricky, maybe even dangerous, to focus on oneself, even in mindfulness. Because sometimes uh, narcissism, self-preoccupation, egotism can be entangled with a very kind of inward practice that we do in meditation. And sometimes it can actually reinforce a... a, a um, a unhealthy sense of self, self-identity, self-concept um, in a variety of ways. But when meditation is done well, it's actually supposed to be helping, helping to free us from egotism, from self-centeredness um, that um, causes a lot of suffering. 
So, but the same thing can happen with loving-kindness practice. Loving-kindness practice towards oneself can reinforce a variety of unhealthy attitudes towards oneself. So, for example, one might be, some, some people are really caught, um, I mean, the, the operating word here is caught, caught up, caught, in a victim mentality, or some variation of that. Poor me. Life's been hard on me. It's terrible things have happened to me. And when we're caught in that attitude of being a victim, and then we do loving kindness to nourish myself, to cherish myself, you know, I deserve loving kindness, I should be happy. Sometimes it can be actually be reinforcing the very sense of, of impoverishment. Poor little me. Poor me needs to be taken care of. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So, so, so um, we have to be careful with this. There's a tremendous love and warmth that can be directed towards oneself, but we have to be careful that it isn't uh, kind of entangled with unhealthy attitudes. So what this uh, Buddha Gosha, this uh, ancient teacher said, is that, but he said, yes, the Buddha didn't teach loving kindness for oneself. And in fact, um, the, the upper limits, the upper reaches of, of what, how far you can go with the practice of loving kindness cannot be reached by doing loving kindness to yourself. Isn't that interesting? They, they, you know, the practice itself, the, 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 the full development of it cannot be reached when you focus it on yourself. However, um, by developing loving-kindness on yourself first, that increases your capacity for empathy for others. If you can feel good about yourself, feel love for yourself, then you're more likely to, um, to feel that sense of um, uh, desire for other people's welfare. You understand, it's kind of easier to put, them, put yourself in their shoes. Oh, they have that capacity too. So, for example, um, uh, my, the greatest sense of well-being that I've had in my life has been in the context of meditation practice. And I've had lots of, all kinds of varieties of feeling good, sense of well-being. But really, meditation practice has given me the greatest. And, um, and, uh, and some of the feelings of loving-kindness and love that come through meditation practice has been some of the nicest uh, feelings of well-being, happiness that I've had. And as I've experienced that, then um, I've been able to see it in other people and appreciate it in other people. And I've been also been able to appreciate that other people have that capacity too. And, you know, before I felt it for myself, I didn't know that people could have that capacity. I saw some people were really happy. That's nice for them. <laughs> but I didn't quite understand. And so as I understood it for myself, then I could, I could um, have a greater uh, kind of wish, aspiration, or, or connection to that possibility in other people. Make sense? So as we do it towards ourselves, some people have to deal with um, a lot of the challenges for that. And that's part of the adventure of it all. The challenge of some people have a lot of self-criticism. Um, some people have a lot of um, difficulty around themselves. Some people are very wounded. All kinds of things that people feel. And so to be able to cultivate goodwill towards oneself, a person has to work through all these kinds of issues, all these feelings, all these emotional issues, what's going on. And so it's, so it's, very, it's very helpful to do that, to explore that, and to be up against, up against that, rubbing up against ourselves that way. And then with time, hopefully something relaxes. Something softens. And so um, the hardness that comes from self-criticism uh, dissolves. And we're left with the warmth in our own heart. 
So it's a nice adventure. So it's a very, help, very helpful healing thing. And it's, there's a lot of times where uh, meditation teachers will instruct people to do loving kindness when there's so much uh, fear or so much anxiety or so much um, self-criticism that it's just not, product, not productive to do mindfulness practice. Some people do mindfulness practice and because there's, there's so much, um, they're so self-conscious to begin with, so self-critical to begin with, that the mindfulness practice just gives them more information to be critical of. <laughs> so they really kind of, you know, it makes it more, so then don't do mindfulness. <laughs> don't pay so much careful attention to what's going on in your mind. Uh, just, just cultivate this warmth, this loving kindness, and, and let that soften and, cult, you know, heal something that needs to be healed. Um, and so with time, the direction that loving kindness is going towards is towards, ultimately is not towards love or kindness in, for its own sake, but it's going towards liberation, to freedom. And that becomes the reference point a little bit for how, what's, how the practice and the attitude, the inner life is developing as we do the practice of loving kindness. Is there um, a greater sense of freedom? In particular, freedom from neurotic self preoccupation, uh, clinging from self-centeredness. Is there, you know, that height holding that we might have there? Uh, is there a softening of this sense of self in a healthy way? Uh, dissolving of the, of the hardness. Um, and if there is, then great. If there isn't, then that needs to be looked at. As the softening happens and the opening happens, then the instruction is to turn the, to turn the mindfulness um, from oneself, not mindfulness, the loving kindness, from oneself, to, um, towards others. And, um, and again, the idea here is that once you've done it for yourself, you have a stronger basis from which then to offer some genuine kindness or love towards others. And so it begins with um, the benefactor. Someone with whom, uh, someone who has had, ki- has, a, has, a, has had expressions of kindness or compassion towards yourself and for whom it's, it's, a, it's a clean, easy relationship for you to wish well for them. So often a benefactor is considered that kind of person. And then from there, it begins going from the benefactor to um, a good friend, to a medium friend, to a mild friend, to a minor friend. Uh, with the idea being that you're going from uh, the, where it's easiest, and once you have it established where it's easy, then you begin exploring, how can I do it where it's not, it's, it's, it's easy, but not quite as easy as a benefactor. So you might have a really good friend who it's easy to feel love, kindness for, you, you do things for them, you help them out, you want them to be happy. But you realize that every once in a while, there's this little feeling of jealousy or a little feeling of you know, resentment or a little, you, you're, you have this leftover hurt that no, no, normally not there, but you know, once 15 years ago, they said something. It's kind of a little, kind of still a little kind of hurts or irritates. And so, as we do the loving kindness practice to that friend, then the idea is uh, not to ignore the difficulties of the relationship that you have, but to work with it and see if something, in a healthy way, something can be dissolved, forgiven, uh, uh, worked through, so that the, the kindness, the love, becomes um, uh, um, unlimited or unfiltered or uninhibited. So it becomes complete. Isn't that a beautiful process? So then you do it with your good friend who you have this teeny little thing about. And then you have your medium friend 
you know, who, you know, you're good friends, you get along, you can do wonderful things together, but, <laughs> you know, there is a couple of things, you know, you don't, and so you get to explore what that's about and work with that and kind of and find out what that's about. And this doesn't mean you're, we're denying that people have their foibles. We're not kind of ignoring it. But rather, we're, even if someone has, you know, someone does unskillful things or even hurts you sometimes, we're not ignoring that, papering it over and saying, well, that doesn't, you know, sweet, you know, sugaring it over. It's, it's hopefully clearly seeing the shortcomings other people have. And in spite of it, not ignoring it, not kind of being foolish about it, but in spite of it, can we open our hearts completely to that person? So there's kind of a, a very pure feeling of kindness and love to that person. And what does it take to do that? One advantage we have about this when we do it in meditation is the other person doesn't have to know. <laughs> so for some people, that makes it a lot easier because it's, you know, it's private. It can be private. And so as, as we do this work, uh, hopefully you get a sense that you're actually liberating yourself from the ways that you've, you're clinging or stuck or held so that the openness, the radiance of the, of the heart um, is limited or stopped. There's a liberating process to do this. And, um, and that is really the whole point of this loving-kindness practice is to move towards liberation. It doesn't have to be the point, but that's the ultimate point. So I want to read to you this evening uh, a, a sutta, a sutra, a discourse of the Buddha that's called the Discourse on Loving-Kindness. And uh, this is kind of the, it's taken to be the central reference point for loving-kindness in um, uh, its practice. And um, I think it's quite beautiful. I hope my reading of it and translation of it makes it beautiful enough. Um, but most people focus on the middle part of the text. And they don't really notice the opening and the end. And the opening makes it very clear that the loving-kindness practice is not being offered here for the purposes of developing loving-kindness practice. It's offered as a path to liberation, to freedom, to nirvana. Isn't that great? Some people think, that, oh, you know, I'll do this loving-kindness practice for a while and then I'll get to the real Buddhism. You know, the liberation, the nirvana stuff, the mindfulness stuff. And they don't really kind of, you know, get to real work. And in fact, that attitude exists in Buddhism even. I've heard, I've heard of, I know of uh, uh, Asian teachers who uh, relate to metta, loving-kindness practice, as kind of like kids, uh, children's practice. It's kind of like kindergarten Buddhism. You know, and you should really get onto the real stuff. But according to the Buddha, um, the loving-kindness practice is also meant to be a practice that leads to liberation. And here, um, the, the state of liberation is, in this text is called um, the state of peace. So it opens this way. To reach the state of peace. There it is. <laughs> Can there be a doubt about it? <laughs> That's what it says. Um, and uh, however, uh, in order to highlight this, I reversed, in translating it, the first and second sentence. So if you read uh, every other translation, this part about the peace is a second sentence. And often it's not so clear, the translator, what they actually mean. They kind of lost. And so by second sentence, you're already you know, jumping ahead. So I put it front and center to make it clear that's what the text says. 
To reach the state of peace, one skilled in the good should be capable and upright, straightforward and easy to speak to, gentle and not proud, contented and easily supported, living lightly and with few duties, wise and with senses calmed, not arrogant and without greed for supporters, and should not do the least thing that the wise would criticize. One should reflect, may all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. All living beings, whether weak or strong, tall, large, medium or short, tiny or big, seen or unseen, near or distant, born or to be born, may they all be happy. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere. Let no one through anger or aversion wish for others to suffer. As a mother would risk her own life to protect her child, her only child, so toward all beings should one cultivate a boundless heart. With loving kindness for the whole world should one cultivate a boundless heart, above, below, and all around, without obstruction, without hate, and without ill will. Standing or walking, sitting or lying down, whenever one is, one is awake, may one stay with this recollection. This is called a sublime abiding here and now. One who is virtuous, endowed with vision, not taken by views, and having overcome all grief, all greed for sensual pleasure, will not be reborn again. So not being reborn again is another synonym for this peace or this nirvana, this liberation. To reach a state of peace. So it begins by talking about these beautiful qualities. And I don't know how it was for you to listen to those, but I'm inspired every time I see these qualities. And I wonder, do I have those in myself? <laughs> and then, uh, and then there's a practice of loving kindness, which here is done by reflecting. May all beings be happy. No matter who, what kind of beings they are, may they be, may they be happy. May they have well-being. Deep, sublime, abiding well-being. And then the attitude is, is, is related to that of a mother. And like that, one should cultivate a boundless heart. Isn't a nice expression, a boundless heart? So, um, so moving towards liberation. So in that kind of context, maybe it gives a certain, a different kind of meaning and maybe even value or seriousness to, the, to this practice of loving kindness. Uh, it's not meant to be kind of a lightweight kind of practice. It's really meant to be kind of moved to it as if, uh, it's possible to move to the very heart of what Buddhism is about. And so the adventure of engaging in loving kindness practice is not just a, a practice of feeling love, feeling kindness, feeling goodwill, but to actually work with that which keeps us uh, bound or held or, or constricted or, or attached. So we work then through these people. We work through, you know, you know, our benefactor, and then on and on, down down to what's increasingly difficult, until we come to a category of, of people 
that in this tradition is called the neutral person. And uh, some people complain, say, well, there's no one who's really neutral. I, you know, I judge people right away. <laughs> no, <laughs> no matter who they are. <laughs> but uh, the neutral person is, um, you know, basically someone who you don't really know so well and you haven't had really a chance to develop any real impression of them. No one, you don't really have any animosity towards them, but you don't really have any particular goodwill to them as either. You've had at the time or the chance really to do it. They're kind of more or less a neutral person. So, so I know some people will choose um, a mail carrier you've never talked to. You see the person come to your house and, you know, for maybe months or years, but you never talk to the person and you don't really have any, you know, maybe more or less kindly disposed, but but, you know, there's more or less a neutral person uh, or a clerk in a store, a neighbor who's, you know, a block away or something. Someone you see on the maybe you see someone on the on the bus. If you go to work on the bus and you see someone regularly, but you don't talk, you don't, you know, just someone in the, they sit in the back, you sit in the front, but you kind of recognize you share the bus with them. And so uh, then you begin exploring what does it take for you to cultivate loving kindness to that person, to have goodwill towards that person. And some people who do this find this is a really fascinating area of loving kindness. Because what does it mean to have love or kindness or goodwill to someone for whom, um, uh, you know, is not close to you, is not a friend to you? Someone who, for whom, uh, is not uh, uh, extending kindness or friendship for you. Um, this is kind of moving loving kindness to a place where there's no exchange involved. And if you're not getting anything back, the person doesn't know you. <laughs> And so, can, what does it take to feel kindness to such a person? And what are the barriers to doing that? Uh, some people uh, don't want to open up to someone who's a neutral, kind of more or less a stranger, because if you open your heart to that person, well, then maybe you have to invite them home. <laughs> maybe then you're not safe. It's better to be closed and not pay attention. And, and you know, what are the implications if you open your heart to someone who's a stranger? Um, and um, what are the, what's going on there? So it's, uh, hopefully it's a, it's a rich area of exploration uh, with the idea that um, if you explore it and work through those issues, not only can you feel in love towards strangers, more importantly, uh, you've liberated the heart. You've freed something up. Part of the premise, I believe, is that um, a natural heart, a heart which is resting actually on itself without any limitations, any clinging, any attachments, any barriers or whatever, will naturally feel kindness and goodwill towards all people. Um, and so, as we, as we liberate, this process of liberation then frees up that kind of attitude. So, this makes me think of... Um, and so, so, um, so, this is how, we, you know, so in meditation there can be this process. Now, one of the supports for this and one of the ways that makes all this really real so it's not kind of uh, idealistic, is to begin expressing it in practice too. Not just kind of keep it to yourself. In fact, there have been not, a sh- not, a f- not just not a few Buddhist meditators who've cultivated boundless love for all beings in meditation. Only to get up out of meditation, you know, say... You disturbed my meditation. How could you? <laughs> you, know, you know, and get angry at someone or, you know, you realize, you know, it's, 
And, um, you know, oh, I'm so good. Wow. I must be the next, you know, saint of Redwood City. And then you get in your car. <laughs> you know, and it just vanishes. And you. So, uh, actually, one of the very important areas to explore loving kindness and explore yourself in the process and learn to free yourself is to begin exploring what does it take and now to express kindness, goodwill uh, uh, for others in life itself. Um, how, what is it like to kind of, you know, show up at the uh, supermarket and then have goodwill for the clerk? Not just kind of just, oh yeah, I can't, oh yeah, you know, I, I wish them well. <laughs> but really kind of take in the person there and stop and somehow have an exchange which just feels genuine. Um, but also the person kind of feels, feels a little bit better, feels nice. Wow, someone cares about me. That's nice. Someone expressed some goodwill. Someone uh, recognized, saw me as a person. Just to see someone as a person. Sometimes um, I haven't given uh, money to homeless people, but sometimes I stop and smile and talk to them. And uh, every once in a while, it hasn't happened that often, I get the impression that that was more meaningful for them than the money. Isn't that nice? You know, just take, take the time. So how we are is very important. So there's, a, uh, I think, a nice teaching from the Buddha. Um, in ancient India, there were, um, still in India to some degree, a uh, big degree, I guess, there's, there's castes, different castes. And so people's worth, worth and status in society has a lot to do with their caste they're in. And you're born into a caste. And the Buddha was somewhat critical of this kind of caste system. In particular, he was uh, critical of the, the way in which people's status, or, or maybe status, but their worth, their value as a kind of person, uh, or the worthiness, uh, came from how they were born. And so, um, he would ask someone this question. What do you think? Are only the Brahmin priests, the Brahmin priests being the highest caste, are only Brahmin priests capable of a mind of loving kindness toward, uh, uh, to, toward a certain direction, you know, rating it outwards, without hostility and ill will, and not members of the noble, merchant, or worker caste? And the person says, no. People of all four castes are capable of cultivating a mind of loving kindness. Then the Buddha said, Then on the strength of what argument and with the support of what authority do the Brahmins in this case say Brahmins are the highest caste, those of other castes are inferior. Brahmins are the heirs of Brahma. Isn't that interesting? So here the Buddha wanted to say that uh, a person's worthiness, status even, if you may, doesn't come with how you're born. It doesn't come with your ethnicity or whatever. It comes with how you, the attitude that you have, what you do, how you are, which you have some choice about. And so if you, if you have an attitude of loving kindness, if your loving kindness is pure and beautiful, that is what makes a person a Brahmin. That's what makes a person worthy or you know, kind of a high status, if you, if you allow that, how you are. So not who you are, but how you are. That I think is, for some people here in America, uh, is a bit of a challenging teaching. Some people prefer to feel that 
their value comes from who they are. Maybe that can also be the case sometimes in a certain kind of way. But uh, for the Buddha, at least, the challenge here is that uh, what's important is not who you are, but how you are. So then Buddhism has a lot to do with taking responsibility for how we are, for our attitude. And this whole thing about loving kindness has to do with that taking responsibility. And this is the whole thing that we encourage you to explore this area, explore the territory of goodwill, of kindness, of friendliness, friendship. And what can you do to stretch that, to open it, to develop it, to heighten it, to make it kind of something that becomes your disposition that's ready at hand in all kinds of situations? As opposed to being preoccupied, caught up, afraid, anxious, you know, whatever. And so closed down, so the radiance of the mind is kind of obscured. And so there's no chance for that to come out. So that's the exciting thing. That I think is really fun to, um, to engage in that process. And I certainly see in myself that it's not, sometimes it's not easy. And when it's not easy, it's not easy. <laughs> and when it's not easy, uh, in some ways it's the most productive time. And, um, but it's not easy. <laughs> And so I find, you know, I've spent time sometimes exploring, okay, well, I feel, I can feel good about those people, feel warmth towards those people, but not to that person. Okay, Gil, what's going on? Oh, I don't have to deal with that. You know, I'm not going to see that person again. That person's, you know, a jerk. Why should I waste my time? I could be sitting and meditating peacefully. (laughs) I have important things to do. Isn't it important to stop tra- treating someone like a jerk? Have that attitude, even if they deserve it? <laughs> so what does it take? And what does it take to make it so it's real? So it's not so it's sincere? So it's, uh, what does that take? What does that explore? To so those are my thoughts for today. And um, I would encourage you, if you're interested in this exploration, this adventure, for the next week, to uh, not only uh, stretch yourself with your kindness, your friendliness um, in meditation or in your own heart, but stretch yourself a little bit um, in action, in life with people. Look for some opportunities to offer some simple friendliness, goodwill, kindness, to um, beyond the confines, beyond the limits of where you usually uh, take it. So... You know, and then bring it and see what happens. And see what happens to the relationship. See what happens to the person you offer it to. But see what it happens to you. And see what you can learn about yourself. And if you find yourself incapable to move beautifully into some area, with some stretch into some new area, say to yourself, Great. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I found a limitation. I'm so happy. Finally, <laughs> this is good because that's where the path is found. That's where Buddhism is found is when you encounter your limitations. Great. Now let's practice with that as opposed to, oh no, not again. One more limitation. <laughs> you know, it's an adventure. It's a play. It's a, I mean, you know, it's a really worthwhile thing. And uh, uh, you're all capable of raising to the challenge. Thank you very much.